UCB Life Issues with Paul Hammond. And as always, a very warm welcome to this week's Life Issues. Now, as we record today, the Police Crime Courts and Sentencing Bill, better known as the Policing Bill, is in its final stages through Parliament. It is a bill that has attracted a lot of attention and no small amount of criticism as well, not least because of how it is perceived it will impact protest that causes disruption. Now, I always thought that the whole point of protest, whether you agree with it or not, is to highlight issues by disrupting lives. I mean, how successful would the words of Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. have been if they couldn't have disrupted a life or two by peaceful protest? The Home Office spokesman, we did invite them to be a part of the programme, but they declined. They sent us a statement and they said this, freedom to protest is a fundamental right but new measures are needed to tackle the selfish minority of protesters whose actions endanger the public, such as those who block ambulances or prevent thousands of people getting to work. On one level, that seems fair enough, doesn't it? Protest is all well and good, but if I need to get to work and somebody has superglued themselves to the train... And yet, throughout history... Christians have been a part of protest. You don't have to go back many decades to find them marching with regard to CND or make poverty history or around the world injustices and abuses against people of faith. And perhaps more recently, we've seen Christians a part of the climate protests that have been happening. So today in Life Issues, we wonder about protest. Should we? How should we? How far is too far? And is violent protest ever justified? Joining me to explore this and to bring their perspective is Rachie Ross. Rachie is a part of Christian Climate Action and she describes herself, amongst other things, as an activist and a theologian. Pete Morey is Head of Campaigns and UK Advocacy for Christian Aid, an organisation that has not held back from its opinions of the police bill to the extent that they've said MPs should do the right thing, support the amendments from the Lords and put an end to this dangerous attempt to put restrictions on peaceful protest. Strong words. So let's start with the bill. Pete, what are your worries about it? Thanks, Paul. Um, yeah, there are, well, there are many worries, but I think it's probably worth starting by just saying how important people's ability to protest is and how central, I think, Christians and churches have been to movements to protest um, over so many things for such a long time, as you say. And of course, when we've protested over the years, those have been surrounded by and controlled by, to a certain extent, an existing set of rules. So I think, in a way, part of the problem with the policing bill is a lack of recognition that actually the police have always had powers to manage protests um, over the decades. Um, and we've seen that, you know, um, Rachel will be able to talk about that more eloquently than me, but we've seen that in relation to things like Extinction Rebellion and other protests. I mean, even with the, the tens and hundreds of thousands of, of, of us, many of whom were Christians, who marched through Glasgow at the recent 
um, the, the recent climate conference in Glasgow. Of course, all of that was surrounded by police making sure that, um, you know, that was done in a safe and legal way. And I think the problem with the policing bill is that it fails to recognise that those um, those rules are in place and, you know, by and large, are working and, and, and seems to think that as a result of a number of different protests that have put considerable pressure on this government, quite rightly, new powers are now needed. And, and it really um, does present a significant chilling effect, I think, to the ability for lots and lots of people to be able to speak out and to, to make their voices heard. So a good example of that is the new powers that are coming into place with um, restricting noisy protests. Now, I mean, protests are noisy. I mean, anyone who's been on a march or a demo would say that that was the case. And these rules effectively allow the police to look at a, forward, a, a, a future protest and say that potentially could be you know, far too noisy, um, far too disruptive, and therefore put a kibosh on it and to stop it from happening. And in a way, what that potentially limits is the biggest, most noisy, most outspoken protest that we often need in society. You think about something like the march and protests that took place in terms of the war in Iraq. I mean, those are some of the biggest protests we've ever seen in this country. Everyone would have predicted them to be noisy and as a result, pretty disruptive. But these powers would give the police the ability to say, right, well, as a result, we're going to limit that. I mean, can you imagine the impact that that would have had on an issue like Iraq if we'd restricted the ability of those tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people to speak out in that kind of way? So it's really, really worrying. Although the Home Office do say that these new measures will not stop people, Rachie, from carrying out their, and I'm quoting from their statement again, will not stop people from carrying out their civic right to protest and to be heard, but will prevent large-scale disruption, enabling the silent majority to get on with their lives. You've been on a protest or two, Rachie. What do you think to that? I mean, I agree with everything that Pete's just just said. I mean, the, the scary thing on all of this is that this is a backward step, really, insofar as the police are supposed to be facilitators of dissent. So a lot of the police have been asked, you know, are you happy with this? A lot of them are saying, actually, we've never had an easier job than with Extinction Rebellion and Christian Climate Action because of the way that you publicly protest in a non-violent direct way. So and then, then the government are sort of citing that the 1986 bill is now no longer fit for purpose, which just isn't true. So I think that that's a sort of bit of sort of a greenwash or, you know, whitewashing there. Um, but I think the thing is, it's not lost some of the irony. We have a government that works basically on squabbling. It's an adversarial form of government. They squabble, they boo, they shout, just, just tune, into, tune into, you know, government question time. And you think, how are you denying the general public the right to noisy debate? which is what fundamentally protesting is. But I do just want to highlight something different here. Protesting in my book isn't the same as resistance. And I think that protesting is when I say that I don't like something. And that's the scary thing is that uh, Mark Coleman, a friend of mine, a, a vicar, is now he's, he's been arrested yesterday for holding a placard which said Jesus wept outside the largest oil depot that keeps oil inside the UK, just standing there on a grass verge. He was standing saying nothing with a with a placard. So 
this idea of clamping down protest is very real. So protest is saying what I don't like. Resistance is saying, actually, I'm now going to use my body as an mm. effort to, to actually stop this injustice happening. So I think the concern is if there's stopping speaking protest, then what next? So I think it is a, is a very major concern. But it is fair to say, isn't it? I mean, and the, the Home Office statement referenced there, the silent majority. It is fair to say that during some of the, uh, the extinction, rebellion and protests, and perhaps to a lesser degree for you guys at Christian Climate Action, but there was the silent majority were actually very vocal about their opposition to you having the right to protest, you know, block their access to those trains, block the roads when they wanted to get to work. It, there, there, was, there was this sense of, of a, a disparity between the right to protest and the right to get on with your life. You say that, but what's interesting is those high high media sort of um, cases. So you had the Colston statue throwing into the you know to the river, into the docks. You had the Canary train, all that. Those high cases um, and some of IB, they were unanimously by the jury found a hundred percent not guilty because the jury said it doesn't really matter what you say. We see this as proportional to the crisis we face, which is global immediate we've got to cut our carbon in the next eight years in half and at the same time we the government have now says paul that we've got 40 new explorations of oil and gas in the north sea now going live now and then you're thinking well, hang on a minute you haven't got the you haven't got the right to publicly protest the fact that this is endangering life on earth so the jury what i think is fascinating about this bill and i'm i'm really interested about non-violent direct action from the jury to see if you put this as law which has now gone through two days ago what happens if the jury say it doesn't really matter what you say government we think this is a proportional response it doesn't matter actually that we blocked a motorway for, for 24 hours actually because it's proportional to the threat to humanity life on god's planet to all ecosystems all animals um and to see if they say not guilty then what are they going to do and i think that is a fascinating subversive creative act of non-violent direct action bring it on but do we not need pete to actually consider the level of disruption we create with our protest in people's ordinary lives, people going around doing their ordinary business. Isn't there a responsibility, especially on Christians involved in protest, to actually go, I will consider the needs of others. I will, you know, prefer one another in love, whatever verse we want to pluck out of context to use for, for this. Or is it perfectly acceptable for us to turn over the tables of the money changers come hell or high water? I mean, would Jesus have fallen foul of the new law? Um, so I think, I think yes, probably to all of those questions, Paul, in a way. Um, I mean, I always think about that example of Jesus and his disciples, uh, walking through the fields on the Sabbath and picking wheat and, uh, the Pharisees saying to him, you know, that's, that's, that's against the law. How, how can you do that? And, um, I forget what what Jesus says in response, but you know, effectively, we have lots of examples of Jesus, um, you know, pointing to where it is necessary and needed to break the rules. Um, but I think, of course, anyone engaged in protest and resistance will need to think about the impact on other people, and I think it would be unfair to suggest that that's that doesn't happen. I mean, um, you know, I, 
I'm, a, I'm aware through people who've been involved in Extinction Rebellion at the levels of thought that have gone into about closures of bridges, about, um, you know, uh, uh, occupying areas of streets and so on. And as Rachie said, the kind of conversations that Extinction Rebellion have had then with the police to say, this is what we're doing. This is how we'll ensure that there can be access and so on. And I think what the government has failed to do is to recognise that that's the case and that actually in many of these examples, um, people take a very responsible approach to it. Um, and so on the one hand, I think people think a lot about the kind of impact that these sort of protests have on others. But of course, beyond that, the people that we need to think about most uh, when we're thinking about protesting other people on you know when we come to climate on the people on the front line of the climate crisis right i mean at the end of the day uh this is a crisis this is an emergency um this isn't a, a future crisis for our brothers and sisters um in bangladesh in kenya in haiti who every day are seeing their livelihoods destroyed as a result of extreme weather and I think fundamentally as Christians, that's who we should be thinking about first and foremost. So, yes, we need to think about people who are affected in the UK when we're doing this. And I think protesters do that all of the time. Um, but most importantly, really, we need to think about the people who, are, who, who we care about most who are impacted by things like the climate crisis. Reggie. Yes, and I mean, I agree with all of that. I think as well, we'd be mindful to remember that the word crisis, which you just used there, is from the Greek krino, which really means choice and decision. So if we reframe this sentence, instead of saying the climate crisis, the refugee crisis, if we said the climate choice, the refugee choice, the war choice, the fuel poverty choice, we then actually give responsibility to people, Christians included, to say, what is your choice with your actions, your words, your pound, your protesting right what is your choice so i think that's really important and we're called like you just said there pete to act in love for our brothers and sisters you know in bangladesh already you know these are not i mean the i tell you what's appalling in the minute is the press are not showing us what's going on in, in india around the appalling um heat wave that's there right now that you know these people are saying the headline yesterday was you cannot move or grow in these temperatures and yet that's not making any of the news at all. And I think because climate is now. So I think there's something around the disruption that we've seen on motorways with, say, um, IB, Interlake Britain, trying to wrestle at the table. I mean, I think what's interesting is the projection is by 2050, if we're still on the planet, it's going to cost the UK government 20 billion quid a year climate issue. 20 billion. So, you know, if they actually understood that that protest is an investment in the future, protest is the most loving thing we can say to these guys. We're holding them to the highest to the highest law, the law of love for your neighbor. If we can't say in love, you can do better, then we failed them. And as Christians, you know, we're called to that law of love. You're listening to UCB Life Issues. You can tell why we've got Pete and Rachie on because they are very passionate about this. But should Christians protest? Is it actually a moral, even a faith responsibility for Christians to lift up their voice to protest? And what sort of protest then is acceptable? And how far is too far? That's just part of the stuff that we're considering today as we consider the right to and the responsibility to and the manner of and pattern of protest that we 
can take up. My guests are Pete Morey from Christian Aid and Rachie Ross from Christian Climate Action. ChristianAid.org.uk, of course, is the website. Um, and ChristianClimateAction.org is the website uh, for Rachie's organisation. And I'll, I'll confess, I mean, you both have referred there to your r- more recent than I protest. It's been a while since the 70s and I went on a demo, but when you go on a protest, when you go on a demo, what are you hoping to achieve and what are you careful of? Just a couple of thoughts from each of you on that. Rachie, let's start with you. Well, I think the first thing is to position it is when I go, it's a, it's a posture of life and it's a spiritual posture. It's a whole way of life. So I'm not going on a protest. My life is trying to be consistent in that. And it's a joy, Paul, to be honest. It's a joy. And I, my, I go with this in mind, this great quote from Richard Raw. He says this, Jesus lived simply and uncooperatively within the empire. So my job is to live simply and uncooperatively within unjust laws. When I go, what I'm mindful of is that these are real people I'm dealing with who have exactly the same fear as me. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm quite a fearful person. I'm an extrovert, but I don't like the thought of being arrested. So our natural posture is fear. And then that's when you have to pray into that and say, let me be courageous against unjust laws, which may not affect me directly. So it's that, it's that interspace between the people on the ground you're dealing with, the police included. You'll never hear, for example, Christian Climate Action or Extinction Rebellion chant, shame on you. I've been to protests where they have. I will never do to another group of people what they have done to a minority group. So, you know, there's none of that. There's honouring the God in the other. And that is something, as Christians, which we bring with our other faith communities, unique, you know. Jesus doesn't say you love someone because they have a basic morality. He says you love someone because they've got God in them. And so that's kind of what I'm doing when I'm on a protest. Pete? Yeah, I think for me it's an act of hope. Because at the heart of going out and protesting and demonstrating about things um, is a belief that it's possible to change things and it's possible to be part of that change. So I think similar to Rachie's point, you know, I guess what I'm what I'm always thinking about on the protest is is the people that I'm trying to convince to change. But at the centre of that is a belief that that they can be changed. And I think you know in a in a society that can really often be very, very cynical um, about, about our leaders, about the political process, about life in general, actually protest is an act of hope and an act of, of you know, being part of a willingness to say that, that this world can be transformed and it can be changed. So it's almost, I mean, you seem to be positioning it as protest rather than the negative thing that it's often portrayed as i suppose especially by those who are in power because they don't want to be protested against you're actually positioning this as as a what a building thing a constructive thing a building block in society yeah i i think it is a fundamental part of our society and part of a democratic society you know there are different elements of what makes up I think, a a kind of well-functioning democratic society. And that might be, you know, that might be parliament, that might be the law. But actually, I think what we might call civil society, those of us in, you know, everything from neighbourhood groups through to charities, through to, you know, um, protest movements and so on, we, we make up this incredible world of civil society that is a fundamental part of what makes 
a, a good society tick. And I think you can see that when you look at, you know, other countries around the world where there are issues. I mean, you take, you know, you take the situation in Russia at present, um, you know, there is very little to no freedom to protest yeah, yeah. in that country. And that that is... Um, you know that's that's fundamental to the problems that the Russian people face because we don't have that they don't have that ability to do that in the same way. So yeah, I think it is fundamental to how any good society should work. And so that's why things like the policing bill are dangerous because you chip away at that stuff at your peril, really. So obviously, the fact that you both have been on the occasional demo in your time indicates that you think it's acceptable for Christians to go. But I wonder if I can flip that around a little bit and ask you if it's actually a Christian responsibility to protest. I mean, from a, a theological point of view as well, Rachie, is there a, a, we use the phrase speaking truth to power. We use that very glibly. I mean, I, I frequently use it in my program when people tell me I shouldn't criticize the government. But, but it, is there actually a biblical mandate and responsibility for going out and speaking out? Well, 100%. And I think one of the most sadly mishandled passages is Mark 5, 38, where it talks about this. We've basically become a load of wet wipes. So the idea that Jesus says, turn the other cheek, give your undergarments and carry the bag and go and check the passage out. We don't have time to go into the main details, but that is so tragically misrepresented. He was subversive. He was saying, use creative energy like jujitsu, martial art, to take the power from the one who's oppressing you and throw it back in a way they're not expecting. So those three examples are all around. Take someone who's oppressing you and, and basically use that to constrain them because they've put their own laws. So the slapping on the cheek thing means they have to treat you as an equal. The giving the undergarment shames the one who's made you naked. And, and the bag thing is the soldier would have to beg you to give it back. I mean, Jesus is so brilliantly minded and so politically savvy that we've just made ourselves a whole lot of doormats. So to me, the tragedy is we have to reclaim who he was and how he said to live within the system, but to retain your dignity as a human being at all costs. And the other thing I think is a really great book written by Daniel L. Smith Christopher who talks about Jesus was a political atheist. So he had no sense of nationalism. And what the church has got to do is we've got to understand that to create enemies to create that sense of political division is not the Christian ideal. We have a higher source of love. So our rules, we have to, we have a moral responsibility to stand up against any unjust law. And just quickly before I hand back to Pete, I work with young people in crisis and this is a young person's crisis. So the policing bill has basically said to young people, forfeit your future. You can't even stand up to protest that there's no point getting education, that you can't have kids. There's no going to be no pensions, no world to even live in. And we're not even let you protest. And their mental health, 57% say they don't think we're going to make it. And I deal with kids cutting because of this. So we've got more responsibility to be an elder. I have to up my game as an elder and be the elder for these young people because they don't have the voice. Yes, they have the vote at 18. 18? <laughs> what do they do until 18? You know? So that's, yeah, it's definitely our responsibility. And if we are, if there's a sense that, things are flying in the face of the principles of God's justice and truth and grace and all those you know, churchy buzzwords that we use every weekend, we have to take that protest about that to the ears of those who will not listen, Pete? 
I think we do. I think I think it's important to say, though, in relation to this question of responsibility, that there is a place for everyone in these movements. And I think we kind of need to recognise that protest, activism, campaigning, demonstrating can, can, you know, can put people off, can, um, you know, can alienate some people and that some people, for lots of different reasons, may not feel that they've got a part to play in these kind of movements. And, um, you know, not not everyone is like me and Rachie. I mean, thank goodness not everyone is like me and Rachie, right? I mean, you know, that that's that's the joy of of uh you know, it's certainly the joy of the church. It's one of the things that I love most about being part of the church is that actually I rub up against people who are fundamentally different to me. And I would hate anyone, say in my church, to think, oh, you know, to be involved in standing against something that I believe in i have to do xyz just as in church you know we wouldn't say everyone has to go down to the front and preach a sermon or everyone has to you know be involved in the worship group or everyone has to do prayers you know there should be a place for everyone in these communities Mm. of of you know of standing up and speaking out about things and the role that someone can play i mean you know just as in our churches the role that, that that you know that people play in serving tea and coffee after the service is just as important as the preacher at the front on a Sunday morning. And I think that's the same in in protest movements, that we can't ensure that everyone sees this as a responsibility. Therefore, that means that they have to get arrested. They have to go on a demo. They have to do X, Y, Z. I don't think that's the responsibility. I think the responsibility is that, you know, each of us, um, are able to find our place and who God created us to be in, you know, using our prophetic voice that he has given us to speak out on these issues. So I'm really interested in what that kind of inclusive, um, inclusive sort of model of protest and demonstrating looks like, because I think a lot of people look at this, right. And they think, well, it has to be extinction rebellion or nothing. And actually I think of like, campaigning for change as an ecosystem where lots of different people will find their place in it and you know in local communities for a lot of people in the environmental movement that'll be things like their local transition town right and getting involved in making their town their place more environmentally friendly you know changing things in their school in their business in their church that's all as important as going out on a protest to me at the same time an awful lot of folk will still think in terms of protest as going out on a demo, being a part of some form of direct action. So when we think about that, what type of protest is acceptable? I asked the question earlier on, how far is too far? How, How do we define the limits on what we will do to protest, Reggie? Well, it's interesting because Walter Wink, who's one of the guys, the go-to guys about, he does a brilliant book called non, non, Jesus and Nonviolence, and it's absolutely fantastic. And and fundamentally, he says the golden rule is, well, nonviolence means what you wouldn't want done to you, don't do to your opponent. And and, and that that's a good baseline kind of understanding. But what it isn't, it isn't passivity, because Jesus says this third way. He's not saying, he, does, he says, don't run, don't, don't attack fire with fire. 
But there's this third way. And that's what I was trying to explain around using subvertive, creative actions. And I think what's interesting is every authoritarian state, I mean, Amnesty have come out today absolutely slating the bill and said that this is a draconian, backward, dark day for Britain. And what's interesting is the more you clamp down all through history, we've seen it, then creativity springs up. And the Holy Spirit is a brilliant, brilliant, you know, of the of the sacred imagination. So what we'll see is creativity. So just to answer it in a kind of practical sense, Christian Climate Action, our non-violent direct action includes, we have a thousand, over a thousand members, but only 150 are active on the street level we'll have prayers we'll have um people who write and do protests of one all sorts die-ins all sorts of things but also campaigning in the normal what you call normal sense preaching teaching agitating holding churches to account for their money where that is stored you know agitating to the church of england to divest every single level um falls within that so i think non-violence non-violence is the key what is permissible but i would just say one last thing to encourage people i go as far as my courage takes me and i am no different than you paul there is many things i'd rather be doing but when you've seen something you cannot unsee it and and i think for the church for me the sad thing is you cannot wake someone who's pretending to be asleep i can wake you if you are asleep i cannot wake you if you're pretending and the church has got to stop pretending because we are in a crisis point a time where the church could be the bride of christ so And that's my sense. That's the call. But Pete, Jesus stood at the door of the temple and he looked in and he saw God's people being abused, taken advantage of, manipulated, exploited by the money changers. So he walked into the temple and he made a whip of cords and he turned over the tables and he, I quote, drove them from the courts, which doesn't create for me the impression that he said, I say, chaps, if you wouldn't mind, could you possibly pop out? He drove them from the courts. And and there's a degree of violence in that. Does that mean it's acceptable in this day and age for me as a follower of Jesus to march into the, I don't know, Bank of England or the de, you know, depart, pensions department or whatever and start tossing books up in the air? So I I think for some people, it certainly means undertaking action that will get them arrested. I mean, it undoubtedly does, Paul. I think, um, you know, I'm just thinking I'm, I'm here talking to you as a representative from a charity. And as a charity, we are bound by certain laws. And so the way that we campaign at Christian Aid is clearly going to be different than how individuals would or how non, you know, non-charitable pressure groups and grassroots groups go. Because, you know, fundamentally, our responsibility at Christian Aid is to the partners and communities that we work with in countries around the globe. And so we campaign on issues that relate to them. So I just want to make sure that I'm saying that in that context. But I think there will be occasions where individuals will will want to will will campaign on issues that that are of you know fundamental issues of justice and where you know where they they will be arrested and where they will probably need to be arrested and I, I so I think that will on occasion include um, things which relate to destroying uh, or or um, I can't think of the right word but you know having an impact on property. Uh, uh, for example, so the example that I always think about, Paul, is um, some of the pacifist 
protest movements of the last 20, 30 years, and in particular, the actions that were taken against British aerospace jets being sold to repressive regimes overseas. And many of those protest actions that were undertaken were undertaken by Christians, right? Which included some of those Christians um, trespassing onto British aerospace property and damaging um, those aeroplanes that were going to be sold to repressive regimes. And as a result, they're arrested. They knew they were going to be arrested. They wanted to be arrested and therefore, you know, face trial. And my personal view is that is absolutely legitimate. It, it, in a way, I mean, it's a funny one, isn't it? In a way, it's both an act of, act of violence and non, non-violence. I mean, it's not an act of violence against a person, but it, it is a destruction of property. It is trespassing. But in that instance, to try and highlight and stop violence being perpetuated against people in you know suffering under repressive regimes and i think that's absolutely legitimate yeah the thing is though rachie the the bible tells us to obey the laws the bible tells us to submit to those who are in authority over us the bible tells us that we need to respect the governments and 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 those who have been given rule over us and we we're told to do all those things rachie so how can it be right that as a follower of jesus i say ah here's the law i'm going to ignore that because i want to make my voice heard well, I don't think it's about ignoring the law. I mean, Jesus' non-violent direct action principles, which are clearly laid out all through the teachings, particularly in Mark and on the Sermon on the Mount, et cetera, et cetera, would, would take on board this thing. You put yourself under the law. You respect the fact the law is there. We need laws. But when an unjust law is there, you, you break that law for the higher good and you take the rap of the law willingly. Hence, we have today, we have Mark in our vicar in um you know been being held having been arrested and he will take potentially he will under this new law he'll have the, the policing bill he'll have un un sort of defined fines and potentially two years in prison for holding a placard on a piece of land which he's not allowed to to go against and stand there because it's oil etc 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 so there's a sense in which we've got that but built in take the rap of the law hence jesus died i mean that's the biggest form of non-violent direct action right take the law on yourself you know, and then come out the other side. Amazing. Um, but I do just want to say my challenge is to the church leaders of our day. So historically in the 1980s, the Philippines had the most incredible training by the clerics of the clerics to do non-violent direct action. And they were part of stopping a bloodshed. The nuns and priests sat down, stood between soldiers, and, and they said, we're not bombing priests and nuns. What, what was the difference? They took six weeks. They took time to train in nonviolent direct, direct action. And the key call to the church is Justin Welby this week thankfully said to Boris that his Rwandan status for these refugees was unethical. My challenge is what happens if that carries on? Is it just going to be protest by words or is it going to be followed up with resistance at the top of the church of Christ? And I think that's the key, isn't it? How far does it go? Where are we prepared to say We've now got to put our bodies in the line because that's the higher good, hence Pete's point. And I guess my last point on that is Christians say, oh, we want to beat, you know, swords into plowshares as long as you don't start beating the bombs into plow. You know, as long as you don't actually take action against the planes or the bombs that are doing it. So we're quite sort of, you know, we're not as nuanced as we should be. So where do we take this? How do we take this forward then? Because we live in a world where 
restrictions have now been put in place where there are lots of issues, and we've mentioned a few from climate to, to immigration to, well, the reality of poverty and fuel poverty in our nation the, and the impact that that's having on people. The, there are lots and lots of issues. How do we determine that which takes us from verbal objection to protest to resistance? Well, I guess the key thing is, one of the things I think is keystone species. We have been given the planet to look after. Whatever your theological understanding is, that from different streams of church, we would view that the creation is ours to be looked after. Keystone species, anything that does damage to everything else, that's us. The responsibility falls on us to do this and fundamentally we need to tell the truth to ourselves we need to tell the truth around how the capitalist model about continual growth you know we go over our planetary boundaries by february of each year so you know how our economics needs to be rewilded our church needs to be rewilded our governments need to be rewilded in the sense of actually telling the truth taking responsibility and waking up so i think for me the, the threat is too great here eight years We've got to sort this out at the absolute outside. So it's a case of time scale and severity come to come into frame. We've we've got to act and we have to act now. Every decision we make now is a decision that is made now. So, yeah. So it is a case of the severity of the situation for me has to be acted upon. So it is about the severity of the situation and the need to to get a sense or to act. But it's how far that action goes, isn't it, Pete? It is, and and that's why I I think our response um, is well is twofold. Two things come to mind for me. The, the first actually is the need to pray. So I I think um, you know in, in the face of all the different crises and scandals that Rachie talked about i think um we we should we should respond in prayer because i think it is in that it is in that relationship with god and in listening to 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 god that that actually both at a personal and at a collective level i think we will find where and how we want and need to respond and where god wants us to act in the world as rachie says because I think that's partly because, you know, there are so many different issues that face us. And I really, really believe that we all have a part to play. But I don't think my part and your part and Rachel's part is the same. And um, there's enough challenges to go around for each of us to find our part to play in that. And I, I really do believe that prayer is the place where we will find the answers to that. And then I think the second point for me is that, that we should do this hopefully. So, you know, I, I think in the face of um, in the face of the challenges that we face, I think we need to be hopeful that we can make a difference because if we're not, I just think that um, it will lead us to denial, despondence um, and inaction, to be honest. Um, so I really believe that, God is moving in this world and that, you know, we are part of a journey towards a new heaven and a new earth. And that, you know, and that that, that is about 
making change happen and about our part in making God's kingdom come. And so for me, that can only be done through an attitude of hope that 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 really is possible. And we, you know, we might not see it today. We might not see it tomorrow. We might not even see it in, you know, a year, two years time. But I think um, God is moving in this world and, uh, you know, change is possible. And so we have to be part of that, uh, part of that, you know, through an attitude of hope. Because I think the opposite of that, you know, becomes quite self-indulgent. Um uh, you know, and that, that actually, you know, there's a risk that that we think change isn't possible, um, and therefore we undertake increasingly quite selfish acts um, of 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 not being part of that change. Just want to add to that. I agree with what Pete said there. I just think it's really helpful to think that optimism and pessimism—they're both wrong. Realism is right because realism leads us to the place of hoping in the optimistic future we want. So it leads us to action. So I'm realistic about the challenges, but therefore with God and the community of believers and everybody else, um, I can call towards the optimistic view that I want. Do you see what I mean? So sitting in optimism means we just go, oh, whatever, let go and let God kind of thing. Pessimism leads to despair, which George Monbiot says is a sin, and he's not even a Christian, because he says then we just sink into nothing. Realism leads to the hopeful, optimistic future we want. So I just wanted to kind of add that on that bit there. So a final thought, and it, it does need to be effectively a sentence from each of you, and a short sentence as that. If you were sitting down talking face-to-face with somebody in a church who's going, I know that the world's a terrible place, I know that there are terrible things going on, but I don't know how active I can be in being a part of standing against that what would you want them to grasp as to why they need to pursue an understanding of it not just shrug it off and leave it to somebody else pete i think i would talk to them about the real lived experience of our sisters and brothers in so many places around the world and just think about what it is that we can do to be in solidarity with them and to be part of this family of God with them. And, you know, that that's the piece at Christian Aid, I think, that inspires us to keep acting is just the lived reality that our sisters and brothers see every day and the role that we can play to stand with them, not for them, because they are the agents of change in their lives, but the way that we can stand with them, recognising our responsibility, particularly when you think about climate, because of what we have done to cause this crisis. And Rachie? I would just say injustice and climate breakdown don't care what we think. They care what we do. And there's joy in doing it. When Jesus walked into that temple and saw the money changers exploiting God's people, his passion was that they should have free access to a house of prayer, to a place of understanding and relationship with the truth of as well as the presence of God. So he protested, he acted, he took action, he stepped forward, he tossed the tables over, he drove them out of the temple, he took a stand. It won him very few friends but he was serving the purpose of God 
in the world at that time. Surely that is the actual point of protest, that as followers of Jesus, we serve the purpose of God in the world at this time. How far we go with that, how far we take that, it probably is down to our particular experience and life and courage and prayerful conviction at any given moment. But whether we speak up, whether we march, whether we get ourselves arrested, surely the call on us is to be lights that shine in the darkness, salt that brings flavour, and difference makers in loving our neighbour in this world. You've been listening to UCB Life Issues. My guest today, Pete Morey from Christian Aid. ChristianAid.org.uk is the website. And Rachie Ross from Christian Climate Action. ChristianClimateAction.org. Guys, thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure and enlightening to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Paul. Join me next week for another Life Issues. Ta-da!